Welcome to Trifecta Now, Living a Course in Miracles. This is the sixth topic in the lessons episodes, Holy Relationships and Forgiveness. Last week, I shared what a special relationship was and referred to it as being replaced by a holy relationship. The thought is to replace the specialness we give to our closest relationships with holiness. The Course suggests this shift. To change our perceptions and consider seeing our close and attached special relationships as one that we can remove the attachment part and switch it to holy. I think the best spelling of the word holy in this case is not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y, meaning completely, totally, and to its full extent. A better comparison comes next. Holy relationships. Holy relationships are those relationships which are the expressions of the holy instant in living in this world. The holy relationship is a constant reminder of the experience in which the relationship became what it is. The holy relationship is learned. It is the transformation of the special relationship and seen in a different light. The only difficult part of this is really the beginning. The goal of the relationship has shifted to the exact opposite of what it was. The burden of having attached yourself to special relationships has been lifted. While those same people exist in your life in the same capacity and in the same roles, your connection and acceptance of their roles in conjunction with your life purpose has changed. Your attachment to bodies and your need to see them as forms has been removed. This is a time for faith, to let this be set for a goal. It is not something that you accomplish in an instant. We have spent our entire lives making special relationships and investing our emotions and time into them. To say that we could instantly see those people no longer as a form is a difficult task. It's necessary, though, if you are searching for a life purpose of peace and love. The Holy Spirit is your comforter, healer, and guide. She can navigate our way through this shift. The people in our lives don't change, but our understanding of their purpose and that they too are on an individual journey does. Chapter 17 in the original text delves into the special and unholy relationships we create in our lives. Shadows of the past on page 354, the two pictures on page 357, and the healed relationship on page 362. These sections talk about the goals we set for unholy relationships and the chaos they bring to our lives. They are distractions from the now and what we should be experiencing with our brothers and sisters in this world. The next part I'm going to get into, and it's much longer, as I said from the beginning, is forgiveness. Forgiveness is a central theme of this course. It is at the very core of all the lessons, likely because we have a great difficulty letting go and forgiving. I can give examples from every section of this book, um, but I've chosen the ones that I think will stand out. So if we go to, if you have, and I, and I know I've been re- referring to different parts of the, of the book. So the book I have, and I just want to be clear on this because some people have made notes and, and mentioned this to me. I have the, this is called the only complete edition. So this volume of A Course in Miracles has the text, the workbook for students, the manual for teacher, and in the manual for teachers, there's a, some, a section called the clarification of terms, and then there's supplements at the back. So I will be going into these different sections. And if you don't have this 
edition of Course in Miracles. Don't worry about it. Just listen up. Take some notes. Good thing is this is taped, uh, recorded, so you can play it back and forth and try to pick up on some of the things I'm explaining. So in this workbook for students on page 401, it actually starts with what is forgiveness. So I'm going to read some of the excerpts from this. So in paragraph one, it says, forgiveness recognizes what you thought your brother did to you has not occurred. It does not pardon sins and make them real. It sees there was no sin. And in that view are all your sins forgiven. Paragraph two says, an unforgiving thought is one which makes a judgment that will not raise to doubt, although it is not true. The mind is closed and will not be released. The thought protects projection, tightening its change, chains, sorry, so that distortions are more veiled and more obscure, less easily accessible to doubt and further kept from reason. Paragraph three says an unforgiving thought does many things. In frantic action, it pursues its goal, twisting and overturning what it sees as interfering with its chosen path. Distortion is its purpose and the means by which it would accomplish it as well. It sets about its furious attempts to smash reality without concern for anything that would appear to pose a contradiction to its point of view. Paragraph four says forgiveness, on the other hand, is still and quietly does nothing. It offers no aspect of reality nor seeks to twist it to appearances it likes. It merely looks and waits and judges not. He who would not forgive must judge for he must justify his failure to forgive. But he who forgive, he who would forgive himself, must learn to welcome truth exactly as it is. Paragraph 5 says, Do nothing then, and let forgiveness show you what to do through him who is your guide, your savior and protector, strong in hope and certain in your ultimate success. He has forgiven you already, for such is his function, given by him by God. Now must you share his function and forgive whom he has saved, whose sinlessness he sees, and whom he honors as the Son of God. The next part I'm going is in the Manual for Teachers. Um, interesting enough, the Manual for Teachers does not have a section on forgiveness, but I think that there is this section, or rather there is this section called open-mindedness, which is very applicable here. And it's on page 16. And I have to turn to it, so I've highlighted it. Yes. Okay. So on page 16 in the Manual for Teachers, number 10 says open-mindedness. The centrality of open-mindedness, perhaps the last of the attributes the teacher of God acquires, is easily understood when it's in its relation to forgiveness is recognized. Open-mindedness comes with lack of judgment. As judgment shuts the mind against God's teacher, so open-mindedness invites him to come in. As condemnation judges the Son of God as evil, so open-mindedness permits him to be judged by the voice of God on his behalf. Paragraph two says, how do the open-minded forgive? They have let go all things that would prevent forgiveness. They have in truth abandoned the world and let it be restored to them in newness and enjoy so glorious they could never have conceived of such a change. 
Nothing is now as it was formerly. Nothing but sparks now seem which seemed so dull and lifeless before. And above all are all things welcoming, for threat is gone. Sentence 9 says, Forgiveness is the final goal of the curriculum. It paves the way for what goes far beyond all learning. The curriculum makes no effort to exceed its legitimate goal. Forgiveness is its single aim at which all learning ultimately converges. It is indeed enough. And then in paragraph 3 on in sentence 6, sort of the last part of that paragraph says, It is the function of God's teacher to bring true learning to the world. Properly speaking, it is unlearning that they bring, for that is true learning in this world. It is given to the teachers of God to bring the glad tidings of complete forgiveness to the world. Blessed indeed are they, for they are the bringers of salvation. The next part I'm going to go to is in the Manual for Teachers, a little bit further in, called The Clarification of Terms. And it's on page 83. And it is titled, Forgiveness, the Face of Christ. Paragraph 2 says, Forgiveness might be called a kind of happy fiction, a way in which the unknowing can bridge the gap between their perception and the truth. They cannot go directly from perception to knowledge because they do not think it is their will to do so. Paragraph 3 says, And so they need an illusion to help because they are helpless, a thought of peace because they are in conflict. God knows what his son's, son's needs before he asks. He is not at all concerned with form, but having given the content, it is his will that it be understood. Sentence 5 says, The form adapts itself to need. The content is unchanging, as eternal as its creator. Paragraph 4 says, The face of Christ has to be seen before the memory of God can return. The reason is obvious. Seeing the face of Christ involves perception. No one can look on knowledge. But the face of Christ is the great symbol of forgiveness. It is salvation. It is the symbol of the real world. Whoever looks on this no longer sees the world. He is as near to heaven as is possible outside the gate. Paragraph 5 says, Forgiveness is a symbol too, but as a symbol of his will alone, it cannot be divided. And so the unity that it reflects becomes his will. It is the only thing still in the world, in part, and yet the bridge to heaven. The next section I can give some more information on. So at the back extensions part, there is a section called the Song of Prayer. And in that part, now this is near the back of the text, um, the version that I have. The Song of Prayer on page nine has a section called Forgiveness. And I'm going to read this part from the introduction. Forgiveness of self, forgiveness to destroy, and forgiveness for salvation. So in the introduction, paragraph one says, Forgiveness offers wings to prayer to make its rising easy and its progress swift. Sentence three says, Forgiveness is prayer's ally, sister in the plan for your salvation. Both must come to hold you up and keep your feet secure, your purpose steadfast and unchangeable. Sentence 9 says, 
yet now it, it it has a purpose beyond which you cannot go nor have you need to go accomplish this and you have been redeemed accomplish this and you have been transformed accomplish this and you will save the world on that same page forgive forgiveness of self starts with paragraph one says no gift of heaven has been more misunderstood than has forgiveness it has in fact become a scrooge a curse where it was meant to bless a cruel mockery of grace a parody upon the holy peace of god yet those who have not yet chosen to begin the steps of prayer cannot but use it thus forgiveness kind forgiveness's kindness is obscure at first because salvation is not understood nor truly sought for what was meant to heal is used to hurt because forgiveness is not wanted guilt becomes salvation and the remedy appears to be a terrible alternative to life on page 10 the next page over paragraph three sentence three says do not see error do not make it real select the loving and forgive the sin by choosing in its place the face of christ paragraph four says as prayer is always for yourself so is forgiveness always given you it is impossible to forgive another for it is only your sins you see in him you want to see them there and not in you. That is why forgiveness of another is an illusion. Yet it is the only happy dream in all the world. The only one that does not lead to death. Only in someone else can you forgive yourself. For you have called him guilty of your sins. And in him must your innocence now be found. Paragraph 5 says this is the great deception of the world. And you the great deceiver of yourself. It always seems to be another who is evil and in his sin you are the injured one how could freedom be possible if this were so you would be slave to everyone for what he does entails your fate your feelings your despair or hope your misery or joy you have no freedom unless he gives it to you paragraph six says forgiveness truly given is the way in which your only hope of freedom lies Others will make mistakes, and so will you, as long as this illusion of the world appears to be your home. Sentence 5 says mistakes are tiny shadows, quickly gone, that for an instant only seem to hide the face of Christ, which still remains unchanged behind them all. Paragraph 7 says, ask then his help, and ask him how to learn forgiveness as his vision lets it be. You are in need of what he gives, and your salvation rests on learning this of him. On page 11, it says, Forgiveness to destroy is the subheading. Paragraph 1 says, Forgiveness to destroy has many forms, being a weapon of the world of form. Not all of them are obvious, and some are carefully concealed beneath what seems like charity. Yet all the forms that it may seem to take have but this single goal. Their purpose is to separate and make what God created equal different. The difference is clear in several forms where the design comparison cannot be, next page, page 12, missed, nor is it really meant to be. Paragraph 2 says, in this group, first, there are the forms in which a better person designs to stoop to save a baser one from what he truly is. Forgiveness here rests on an attitude of graciousness 
sorry, gracious lordiness, so far from love that arrogance could never be dislodged. Who can forgive and yet despise? And who can tell another he is steeped in sin and yet perceive him as the son of God? Who makes a slave to teach what freedom is? There is no union here, but only grief. This is not really mercy. This is death. Paragraph six says, forgiveness deserves destroy can also take the form of bargaining and compromise. I will forgive you if you meet my needs, for in your slavery is my release. Say this to anyone and you are slave. And you will seek to rid yourself of guilt in further bargains, which can give no hope, but only greater pain and misery. How fearful has forgiveness now become, and how distorted is the end it seeks? Paragraph 7, on the next page, page 13, sentence 3 says, Forgiveness is the means for your escape. How pitiful is it to make of it the means for further slavery and pain? Within the world of opposites, there is a way to use forgiveness for the goal of God and find the peace he offers you. Take nothing else and you have sought your death and prayed for separation from yourself. Christ is for all because he is in all. It is his face forgiveness lets you see. It is his face in which you see your own. Paragraph 8 says, All forms forgiveness takes that do not lead away from anger, condemnation, and comparisons of every kind are death, for that is what their purpose have set. Be not deceived by them, but lay them by as worthless in their tragic offerings. You do not want to stay in slavery. On that same page, 13, there's uh, another section called Forgiveness for Salvation. Paragraph 1 says, Forgiveness for Salvation has one form and only one. It does not ask for proof of innocence nor pay of any kind. It does not argue nor evaluate the errors that it wants to overlook. It does not offer gifts and treachery nor promise freedom while it asks for death. Paragraph 2 says, You, child of God, the gifts of God are yours, not by your plans, but by his holy will. His voice will teach you what forgiveness is and how to give it as he wills it be. On page 14, paragraph 3 says, Do not establish what the form should be that Christ's forgiveness takes. He knows the way to make of every call a help to you as you rise in haste to go at last onto your father's house. Now can he make your footsteps sure, your words sincere, not with your own sincerity, but with his own. Let him take charge of how you would forgive, and each occasion then will be to you another step to heaven and to peace. Forgiveness must be learned. We have invested ourselves in judgment and hatred. We have willingly chosen to hold on to hurt, anger, judgment, and hatred as this sacred temple of doom. We've convinced ourselves that in doing so, that another person will suffer. We are making them suffer by withholding our love, acceptance, and our forgiveness. We have created this illusion. So can we remove it. Buddha said, Holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It is so important that we understand that we have the power and the ability to change the way we think about everything. We can, in an instant, let go of all hurt, anger, judgment, and hatred we choose to hold on to.
Chapter 17 is called Forgiveness in the Holy Relationship. This is in the original text. I'm going to go to it right now. Um, I'm going to read some pieces, um, some words from it, from the introduction, from the forgiven world, and from shadows of the past that I think are um, good lessons in understanding forgiveness. So chapter 17 in the original text is on page 351. It's forgiveness in the holy relationship. It says, uh, the first part says bringing fantasy to truth. Paragraph one says the betrayal of the son of God lies only in illusions and all his sins are but his own imagining. His reality is forever sinless. He need not be forgiven, but awakened. In his dream, he has betrayed himself, his brothers and his God. Yet what is done in dreams has not been really done. It is impossible to convince the dreamer that this is so. For dreams are what they are because of their illusion of reality. Only in waking is the fool released from them. For only then does it become perfectly apparent that they had no effect upon reality at all and did not change it. Fantasies change reality. That is their purpose. They cannot do so in reality, but they can do so in the mind that would have reality be different. Paragraph four says, as long as you would have it so, and this is at the bottom of that same page, so long will the illusion of an order of miracles, difficulty in miracles remain with you. For you have established this order in reality by giving some of it to one teacher and some to another. And so you learn to deal with part of the truth in one way and in another way, the other part. Page 352. I'm going to go to just looking, <laughs> just looking at what I did after that. Oh, I'm going to move over now to, sorry, page 354, Shadows of the Past. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. I'm going to the forgiven world <laughs> on page 352. Can you imagine, paragraph one says, can you imagine how beautiful those you forgive will look to you? In no fantasy have you ever seen anything so lovely. Nothing you see here, sleeping or waking, comes near to such loveliness. And nothing will you value like unto this, nor hold so dear. Nothing that you remember that made your heart sing with joy has ever brought you even a little part of the happiness this sight will bring you. For you will see the Son of God, and you will behold the beauty the Holy Spirit loves to look upon and which he thanks the Father for. He is created he was created to see this for you until you learn to see it for yourself. Paragraph two says this loveliness is not a fantasy. It is the real world, bright and clean and new. Next page, page 353. With everything sparkling under the open sun, nothing is hidden here for everything has been forgiven and there are no fantasies to hide the truth. The bridge between the world and this is so little and so easy to cross that you could not believe it is the meeting place of worlds so different. Yet this little bridge is the strongest thing that touches on this world at all. This little step, so small, it has escaped your notice, is a stride through time into eternity, beyond all ugliness, into beauty that will enchant you and that will never cease to cause you wonderment at its perfection. 
paragraph three says, this step, the smallest ever taken, is still the greatest accomplishment of all of God's plan of atonement. All else is learned, but this is given, complete, and holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y, perfect. No one but him who planned salvation could complete it thus. The real world in its loveliness you learn to reach. Fantasies are all undone, and no one and nothing remain still bound by them. And by your own forgiveness you are free to see. Yet what you see is only what you made with the blessing of your forgiveness on it. And with this final blessing of God's Son upon himself, the real perception born of the new perspective he has learned has served its purpose. Paragraph 5 says the real world is attained simply by the complete forgiveness of the old, the world you see without forgiveness. The great transformer of perception will undertake with you the careful searching of the mind that made this world and uncover to you the seeming reasons for your making it. Um, page 354, Shadows of the Past. Paragraph 1 says to forgive is merely to remember only the loving thoughts you gave in the past and those that were given you. All the rest must be forgotten. Forgiveness is a selective remembering based not on your selection. Sentence 7 says, Because you bring them, you will hear them, and you who keep them by your own selection do not understand how they came into your mind and what their purpose is. They represent the evil that you think was done to you. You bring them with you only that you may return evil for evil, hoping that their witness will enable you to think guiltily of another and not harm yourself. Page 355, paragraph 2, sentence 2 says, The shadow figures always speak for vengeance, and all relationships into which they enter are totally insane. Without exception, these relationships have as their purpose the exclusion of truth about the other and of yourself. This is why you see in both what is not there, and make of both the slaves of vengeance. Sentence 6 in that same paragraph says, And finally, why all such relationships become attempts at union through the body, for only bodies can be seen as means for vengeance. That bodies are central to all unholy relationships is evident. Is evident. Your own experience has taught you this, but what you may not realize are all the reasons that go to make the relationship unholy. For unholiness seeks to reinforce itself as holiness does by gathering to itself what it perceives as like itself. On the next page, page 356, at the top of the page, it's sentence two. It's actually part of paragraph five. It says, what forgiveness is enables him to do so. If all but loving thoughts have been forgotten, what remains is eternal, and the transformed past is made like the present. No longer does the past conflict with the now. This continuity extends the present by, by increasing its reality and its value in your perception of it. And these loving thoughts is the spark of beauty hidden in the ugliness of unholy relationships, where hatred is remembered Yet they yet there to come alive as the relationship is given to him who gives it life and beauty. That is why atonement centers on the past, which is the source of separation, and where it must be undone. For separation must be corrected where it was made. The past seems to be a central theme in forgiveness. It 
is what has happened in the past that keeps us from living and finding peace in the now. I think we can all agree that the past is over. It is not what we are experiencing right now. Yet we have great difficulty not referring to the past as a point of reference or spending our time going over events, situations, or interactions that occurred in our past. Letting it go is not an easy task, but it is a necessary one to live in this moment. So tomorrow, start your day with a declaration of what you want it to look like. Then go about your day making it happen. Pay attention to your thoughts. They are your thoughts. You control them. If you find yourself judging others, making negative comment, making can't speak now, making negative comments or feeling fear, correct the thoughts, change them. The Holy Spirit is here to help. Let her do what she's meant to do. Ask the questions, ask for assistance, and ask for her help. Also, I want you to continue to sit or stand quietly on your own. Breathe in and out. Listen to your breaths. Then start listening to the sounds around you. If you're having difficulty doing this, then start to name what you see. This will help to focus your mind on what you are seeing right now in the now. Help control your thoughts and keep them focused on what is happening right now. As you continue to evaluate your attachments and special relationships, ask yourself why you are so attached and connected to this thing or person. What is it for? What is its purpose in your life's journey? Every human being is on their own journey, including our children. One we will share as long as it serves a purpose. We will never lose them. As spiritual beings, there is no ending. Bodies pass, but our eternal connection and journey lives on. It's our faith in believing this and accepting it as our truth that shifts our perception and releases us from attachment. So now forgiveness. Forgiveness starts by letting go of the past. When you review your thoughts, write down what the main themes are. Are they always about what has occurred? Past relationship, losses, death, breakups? Whatever the theme is, ask yourself one question in relation to it. What is it for? If you can't find an answer, then it must not be as important as you imagined it to be. Why are you trying to relive or review your past? It's over. It's not coming back, and more importantly, it's not happening right now. You are missing these moments when you are distracted by thoughts of what was. For those people who are worrying about what is coming, this is equally distracting of the now. We have no real way of knowing what the future holds. I know every time I've tried to predict outcomes or events, I have rarely, if ever, been correct about what was going to occur. This is a dangerous, this is as dangerous as living in the past. There is no peace and joy found in any of those thoughts. Next week, I will be talking about undoing, the undoing of fear. Fear is the root emotion we feel when we are not feeling love. Fear is the direct opposite of love. Fear is an illusion we created and we are equally capable of undoing that error. Next week, we're going to look at undoing fear. Until next week, this is our journey. Let's keep finding our way. Have a joyful week. Always love, Denise.